0: Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Amy Rushworth Show. I am so excited to have this conversation, like just personally and very selfishly, but uh, also to bring it to everyone. I am joined by an incredible woman, Lara, and we're going to dive into all the like weird but amazing things to do with like ancient Egypt, uh, the codes of that land, uh, goddesses, priestesses, like Let's just see how much we can get into, because I know there's so many different rabbit holes when it comes to this topic. But uh, first, I'd love you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you so
1: much, babe. I'm so happy and honored to be here and to just share yeah, everything that I know with your audience. I know Egypt is a huge topic right now. Um, but yeah, my name is Lara Maisa. Um, I'm originally half English, half Egyptian, um, born and raised in Cairo and Yeah, I have a background as a filmmaker and a storyteller. But a couple of years ago, my life did a pretty drastic 180. And I received the calling to begin leading pilgrimages through ancient Egypt. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years now. Um, And yeah, I would consider myself a ritualist. Uh, I I love the art of ceremony. I also live in Bali, which is an incredible place that is so steeped in magic and ritual and ceremonies. I feel yeah, just really blessed to be spending so much time in these very ancient and mystical and magical lands that have really helped shape me um, into the woman that I am today. And and yeah, just the the concept of your life as the offering and and life as ceremony. So super excited for our conversation as well.
0: Amazing. We were just talking before we hit record about how Everyone seems to suddenly be interested in Egypt or wanting to go there. I've seen so many of my friends and peers go on these pilgrimages or retreats. And even I was laughing to you, my husband became obsessed with Egypt like six months, a year ago. I keep finding him like in the corner somewhere (laughs) watching YouTube videos and theories on the origins of, you know, the pyramids and the technologies and conspiracies about what that you know what that means what that is Um, so I would love to hear your perspective on this like is, is this a coincidence or are we all being lit up and called forward by Egypt right now
1: yeah it's it's honestly an incredible time to receive this calling and I think it's definitely not a coincidence. Um, I think probably all of your audience is going to be very familiar with the, this idea that we are really living in this very precious and very significant age of transition and transformation. You know, I think a lot of us have heard or, or have looked into perhaps this notion of like moving into the age of Aquarius and, you know, the great collective awakening and the great transition. I think those have been. like pretty clear topics in the spiritual field and it's so interesting because one thing that i've definitely observed is that the people that are coming to egypt a lot of the time they actually didn't really have any interest really in egypt until the last you know i would say like in the last year and so it's been so fascinating to witness how there is this deep hunger and this deep longing i think for experiences and and travel that are actually much more intentional people Mm -hmm. don't really want to go as tourists anymore like people actually really want to receive like you said like the codes from the land or the codes from the temples and i think you know in my personal belief um that the teachings of ancient egypt were kept hidden for a reason and Mm -hmm. even back in ancient egyptian times um the, the real mystery teachings, they were actually not widely available, they were only available to the initiates, those who had been initiated on a certain path to ensure that they would be able to work with these teachings and work with these tools in a way that was safe, in a way that wasn't going to be misused, you know, out of like a hunger mm-hmm. for more power or influence. Um, I think like even if we look back before Egypt and Atlantis, for example, that was the whole theory around why Atlantis fell was because of the misuse of power and a misuse of the technology, the highly, highly advanced spiritual technology that they were essentially using to create hybrid humans and basically create gods walking on earth. And so what I'm feeling for now is that the collective has finally reached a point in our journey where we're almost at this tipping point of like everyone's now hitting a crossroad. And I think COVID again was a big catalyst for that too. And what I noticed actually is this huge shift in people wanting to do a pilgrimage was actually like after COVID. And it's like, yeah. it kind of feels like to me people are just finally ready and the collective itself is ready. And it's almost like, I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like there was almost a contract that there was a certain timeline where these teachings of ancient Egypt were going to have a renaissance and a, a reawakening. And it's like so many, um, even like, for example, the, the word priestess now is suddenly like has a whole, Uh, reinvigoration like people want to go deeper they want to go deeper in themselves they are ready for more advanced higher spiritual experiences and knowledge because we are just ready for it we're at that stage in our collective evolution so it's yeah extremely exciting obviously and um, yeah I I only see it increasing from now
0: Yeah, there has been that resurgence or reinvigoration of that word priestess. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. You know, how much of that do you think is like the revival of this or like this increased calling that people are having to be initiated into that rite of passage and into, you know, women's work versus like a trend?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say it's probably 50-50. I think that yeah. there are some, a lot of women who are truly understanding what it means to be a priestess. Um, and from my personal perspective, I think like something that I see a lot is like where I see it being used perhaps more as a label or like something that you just put on your Instagram bio. Um, it's, it's sort of just like, oh, I'm a priestess that's it. Like, I'm just a priestess. Okay, cool. What does that actually mean? Because if you actually look back in ancient times, and in ancient Egypt, specifically, you weren't just a priestess, you were a priestess of a priestess of Sekhmet, a priestess of Hathor, a priestess of Osset Isis, you know, and so that's, it's so interesting, because I feel like that's like the one piece where I think is going to really be alchemized in the coming years where we're learning that Once we reach a certain point in our spiritual journey, it's no longer about us. And actually the role of the priestess is you essentially have signed a a contract before you came in that you would dedicate your entire life to serving a particular path with certain teachings, um, whether that be around like, you know, the feminine arts, the mystery teachings of a particular lineage, and that that would be your non-negotiable priority in this life. That's actually what it really means in my opinion, to be a priestess. It's like, it's actually like, uh, it's just service. It really is. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think that it's actually a good thing. I think it's good that there are some people that maybe are like not fully grasping the, the, like, uh, the depth of that, of that, role and like it's not just a it's not just a word it's a frequency and it's less important that you use it as a label to you know to let people know that that's what you are but it's more important that you embody it through your actions and people will see it people will feel it actually if you are a true priestess in my opinion you don't really need to even say anything it's felt it's seen it's like um but i do think that it's important that we're at this place because i think this kind of overuse of these terms and we see it as well with like the terms of like shaman or you know uh oracle or whatever it may be i think eventually it's it's going to alchemize into that deeper knowing and that deeper initiation of like truly truly embodying what that word actually means and actually deciding if this is the right path for you because it is really like a lifelong path
0: Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking, like it really feels and seems like there's a certain level of sacrifice there, like sacrifice of your own ego, of your own self and Mm -hmm. devoting your life to that calling, um, that continuation of the teaching of the movement, um, the service, you know, and. I don't know about you, I feel like in the last few years, the spiritual and coaching industry has gone through this massive like purge and detox of separating like, you know, self-selfishness. Um, and then, you know, the the previous, um, I guess, like flavor was like martyrdom and, mm. you know, overgiving as spiritual yeah. people. And I feel like the pendulum kind of swung from yes. that like, almost unhealthy selflessness into unhealthy selfishness and then maybe now it's coming back into this like integrated place of service
1: yeah exactly we're finding the equilibrium it's really interesting too because even like if you look at mary magdalene who's like one of the most iconic priestesses that again has also had a big resurgence if you think about like her sacrifice that she literally sacrificed like the love of her life to be murdered on a cross like that was like the level and again it's like that was an ancient time that's not saying that this is where we're at now now we're coming into that recalibration and that equilibrium finding that middle ground but yeah I do think it's a really uh interesting question to reflect on
0: yeah and you know Mary Magdalene then when she's making that sacrifice and having that level of devotion she doesn't know that she's going to become this like oh yeah incredibly iconic figure it's like she's just in that moment you know and then later she becomes like a history maker the head of a movement that continues now um so, yeah, like, so I find conversations like these just very, very interesting and and mysterious and just <laughs> so my, so my jam. Uh, you mentioned some of the goddesses and I would love to speak to those. We have on the show, like listeners of all different levels of depth when it comes to mm-hmm. spirituality. So there are women who are, you know, priestesses and medicine women, you know, really deep in the underworld of all the feminine and Mm -hmm. spiritual things but then we also have listeners who are you know just beginning to walk their spiritual path so maybe they're just coming into their first acquaintance with a goddess via like an oracle card or hearing about it on the internet Um, so I would love to hear more about some of the really important Egyptian goddesses and deities and how you specifically work with them or how you would recommend that people start to weave these goddesses into their own life and empowerment journey? Yeah,
1: beautiful. Um,
0: I think I would speak
1: probably more on Sekhmet. Um, I feel that Sekhmet, so she is essentially the lioness goddess of ancient Egypt, and she is commonly depicted either as a full lioness or she's half woman uh, with like a lioness head and she has this very like feline elongated figure and she I feel like she's been coming through for so many people recently because of all that she represents being so relevant for our times and I mean among many things she is the master alchemist and she is also um the destroyer of illusions this is a big one with Sekhmet Sekhmet energy is very very potent it's unmistakable it's incredibly sharp it's incredibly fierce as you can imagine like this lioness energy um she was in in ancient egyptian mythology she was like the eye of ra so she was literally like the eyes of the the sun god and she was literally like that entity and that energy that would really just like blast through like with her eyes like piercing through the veils the illusions the the delusions like the pedestaling, whatever it may be and she really was like this protector from all that is not of the divine and she could be quite ruthless so even in ancient egyptian times um you know typically like a lot of the goddesses are in pairs so we have sekhmet who is the lioness like we said master alchemist protector of the heart very fierce but then we also have her sister bastet and bastet is like kind of more the more domesticated cat so she's like a black like beautiful oh my god she her energy is also just so gorgeous um and she's depicted as well like half woman half cat or just like a full black cat and she is a lot more around fertility and joy and celebration and so we have like the two sides of the feminine that are you know kind of in this dance together and they also shape shift according to what is needed in the moment so that's the other thing about the goddesses too i think like a lot of us we have this image we want to make sense of it you know with our like human rational brains we're like this goddess is for this and that goddess is for that and this is for that but when we when we dive deeper into the tapestry of the neteru which is the gods and goddesses of ancient egypt we really see how they are so multi-dimensional you know just like we are you know like i'm i lead pilgrimages through ancient egypt and i'm also a brand photographer and i like sometimes like to do this and sometimes i like you know it's like we they're like us they are essentially our mirrors and they're beautiful resources um which we can tap into to really access those parts within ourselves. And so, for example, if you wanted to work with Sekhmet, you know, you could be calling upon her to support you in a time where you are alchemizing, alchemizing something very deep or painful like Sekhmet. She really is like, she will stand by you in your darkest hour she and you know as fierce as she is as ferocious as she can be it's also the most profound and fierce love that i have ever experienced and Sekhmet is a goddess that i work a lot with Sekhmet is like my number one um and it's so interesting too how the goddesses come into your life oftentimes they're like right under your nose so i didn't even really recognize her until a few years after she first came through and that's very often the case as well um but yeah like even in ancient times you know when we look at the offerings that was another big way that people would uh make connection and cultivate connection with these deities was through the offerings and each goddess had a different offering so Sekhmet's offering was actually blood that was like her offering, you know, but Bastet, her sister, the more softer, like feminine embodiment, her offering was milk. So it's like, I think when it comes to connecting with these energies, I think there's, there's a few ways to go about it. And, you know, I think the first step would be really just to sit with yourself and feel into what part of you do you want to access more? is there like a part of you that feels maybe a bit repressed or a bit stuck? Maybe you have like um, something important that's coming up in your life and you feel like you need more softness or you feel like you need more strength or more power. It's kind of like starting there. It's essentially, like I said, the goddesses are the reflections of us. They are our mirrors. They are a part of us. And so when we connect with a goddess, we're really connecting to that part within ourselves that they are mirroring back to us. And as we cultivate a relationship with them, which means we're sitting at the altar, maybe we have a statue of them, maybe we have a photo, like a beautiful image that's printed out and nicely framed, we're putting our offerings down, we're praying, we're saying their name, we're using their correct name as well, because a lot of the goddesses of ancient Egypt are not known by their real names. Mm
0: -hmm. So for
1: example, um, Isis is actually not called Isis, that's actually not her name, her name is Osset.
0: Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah. It's so Who changed
1: it? Who the fuck changed it? <laughs> well, it was the Greeks.
0: Oh uh, man.
1: You know, like, <laughs> but it's just so interesting. And, and it's like, oh wow. And I, I noticed it too, because when I uh, realized this and I started to change their name when how, you know, when I would um, call upon them, it did shift for me, I felt something different. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, even as a human, right? Like, you don't like it when someone calls you by the wrong name, or when someone like, really like mispronounces your name, you're like, oh, you know, it's the, <laughs> they're, it's the same thing. They're, they're also like, you know, call me by my name, you know, like, yeah. Say my name. And it's like, yeah, it's, um, I think it's like, it's also to a journey that can be really fun. Like it doesn't have to be this like serious, like I have to sit like every day and like da da da. Like sometimes it can be like that. Sometimes you will just be in that rhythm, but then there are, you know, I think once you really get to know them, you actually just see how, like the Neturu are like one big colorful family and they have such different personalities and flavors and energies and wisdom to share with you. And, you know, obviously, like going to Egypt and being in their temples, like is a whole other level of like awakening and because you, you'll feel when you go like which temple really activates something within you. Like, I remember going to the Temple of Hathor for the first time and was just like immediately sobbing, like I just was like completely overcome and I had never really looked into her i had never really i was like ah, you know i'm more into like Sekhmet or horus or you know but i was just floored with and i was like wow like she's actually here to teach me to be more in my feminine embodiment because i was so much in my masculine
0: yeah it's weird how that can happen hey like i'm like deeply witchy and mystical and i believe in Some of the craziest, you know, things, but then I also have like that logical, pragmatic for Virgo placements part of my, (laughs) of my makeup. But I remember actually a similar thing happened when I, uh, opened this book about Mary Magdalene Mm. and it had come to me this book had come to me in quite a strange way already and I opened it and saw her symbol and mm. I just burst out crying and it was really awkward because I was on an airplane like <laughs> next to some <laughs> totally normal people and I'm <laughs> sitting there crying into this book that's like kind of looks a little bit like a bible and you don't know what it is. And, um, yeah so I totally I totally know what you mean and I actually feel like I was meant to have this conversation with you today about Sekhmet because there's as you were talking about this goddess I'm like getting chills mm-hmm. the two and the the two sisters it's it's like reminding me so much of how I feel like I am but sometimes how I feel like I'm I'm misunderstood as well yeah you know I'm super fierce but I'm also really really soft and mm-hmm. um sensitive um wow and yeah maybe maybe this is the next goddess yeah. or, or sister goddesses that i'm meant to be working with 100 i'm just
1: like getting full body chills as you're saying that so i definitely feel like <laughs> she wants to come through for you yeah <laughs> that yeah. is very misunderstood she really is but she will have your back and love you like literally like you are her cub it's like, it's and honestly, I'll, I'll just share like one little piece, um, from the last pilgrimage that I went, uh, that I led in Egypt. And so one of the visits that we have is in Karnak temple, which is an incredible masterpiece of like, literally it's like 20 temples in one temple. It's humongous. And we have a private visit there at um, early, early in the morning. So we go in and it's dark and it's like quite like mysterious and eerie. The columns are just insanely tall. You just feel so tiny. And we go actually into a very not not very well-known part of the temple, which is actually the Chapel of Sekhmet. And um, that chapel is not open to the public, so the energetics of it are are quite potent in that they aren't constantly being, you know, disrupted by like hundreds or thousands of tourists every day going in and blah blah blah. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah. And what's cool about the uh, the Chapel of Sekhmet is that. You go inside and it's a very, very tiny chapel. It's all like ancient stone walls. And there's no light except for a tiny little, kind of like very small square window where the moonlight will like come through and illuminate one side of the the wall. And then in the middle of the the chapel is a life-size statue of Sekhmet. And she's like standing, she's like in her lioness, you know, with her headdress. She's holding the Ankh, super, super tall feline life-size or bigger than life-size um, statue. And this statue in particular is believed even by the Egyptians, the locals, like the um, the guards and the, the temple keepers. They believe that this is the last statue of Sekhmet that is alive. That's what it's known for. And so, uh, yeah, like people have all kinds of experiences in that chapel. And I remember last year was, I mean, it's always incredibly potent, but like people were crying before we had even gone in because the energy was so intense. And it's so interesting too, because um, like, there's a lot of things to navigate when it comes to the temples of Egypt, you know, like a lot of people kind of think of Egypt in the ancient, you know, civilization, but they kind of, don't necessarily know or just haven't really thought about like the modern politics of Egypt, which is like a, a majority Muslim culture, you know, meditation and things like that. This is very taboo. This is haram. They don't like you doing stuff like this in the temples. When we go well, the reason we have so many private visits is so that we can do our things. We're basically paying yeah. to just be left alone and like do what we need to do. Um, but it's really interesting because every time I've gone to the chapel of Sekhmet, the guards are the most like rattled and like freaked out than any of the other temples that we visit. And this is a common experience that I've heard from other people who also do pilgrimages in Egypt, who have also been to that chapel. And it's like, they, cause they know the power of it. And mm-hmm. it's so, it's so funny. Cause it's like, you're, they're just totally giving it away by like how I, I know why you're so rattled and like, Oh, like you can't do anything in here, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, the chapel of Sekhmet is like the one where we have the least like tools of ceremony. Like we don't light candles in there. We don't light incense in there. That is just like, no, 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 no. In the other temples you can on a private visit. Um, but it's like, you don't even need it because her presence and her power and her energy, it just like literally, it's like, it just, breaks you so open and it just literally it's like your heart is like on her altar like it's just it's yeah it really is almost indescribable um but yeah she's she is very misunderstood but i feel like more and more people are awakening to her calling
0: yeah Sounds lit in there. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you recommend just in a really simple way to start working with those goddesses? Like you mentioned uh, the offering of blood for Sekhmet and then uh, the sister was milk. Could you work with your menstrual blood, for example, yeah. or like yeah. drinking a glass of milk on your altar <laughs> or something? I don't know, like how yeah. how... Um, In the most simple way, because I love I love breaking really mystical things down into just like the practical for people so that they they can engage with those practices and kind of not be confused and then not feel like they can't ask someone or step into it because it's like sometimes spiritual things feel a bit gatekept, you know. So how do we how do we create these offerings um, with these goddesses if we resonate
1: Yeah. So yeah, you can do it in many ways. You know, you can sit in meditation. Let's say for example, if if it's Sekhmet and you can have a little offering on your altar of your menstrual blood, you can put put some on your face, you know, while you're in meditation. Um, You can call upon her just through prayer. I mean, it's, it's really, it really is so simple. It's like when you sit with intention and like a deep a deep reverence and a deep honoring of like, I am curious and I'm open and I'm here and I'm making the effort and I'm giving permission for this deity to come forward and to work with me. And I'm not going to expect things to happen overnight, although they could, but I'm going to consistently build this relationship and this trust. And in the meantime, maybe you're going to be reading about them or you're going to like, pick up a book that references them, or maybe you're going to buy a statue of them. You're going to put something of them on your altar that represents them, that really just builds this anchor. It creates this anchor for you to build a relationship with this representation. Um, when it comes to, you know, let's say another goddess like Isis, Oset, um, she is very much related to the Blue Lotus. Um, and so what you could do is you could literally just brew up some blue lotus tea put a little like blue lotus flower on your altar in front of the picture and just sit and like have your blue lotus tea and just have a chat with her like it doesn't even need to be this like really like technical ornate like ritual thing it can be absolutely but you can literally just like sit and have a tea and like chat to her yeah so oftentimes like it's just you know the altar i love this idea of the altar is like your direct line to spirit so use it. Like have a conversation. Ask some questions. Maybe like put forward something that is going on for you, something that is coming on for you. And just like ask for their assistance to release this and just say like I place this sadness or I place this fear or whatever it is. I place it on the altar for you to support me in alchemizing it and turning it into something pure and beautiful and of love. And just see what yeah. happens. And honest yeah. to God, like just just that alone just literally having a conversation you know it's that book conversations with god like you just never know like what might come through but i think in the spiritual field or industry we get so like instant gratification because we're like living in this modern world and we want everything now we think it has to be this huge thing or it's not working or it's not happening but it's like i actually really love uh, i don't know if you know richard rudd the founder of the gene keys but he says yeah. um uh, an awakening is a series of softenings. And so it's like, can we just soften? Can we just like soften into this? Like, I'm just gonna have some blue lotus tea and I'm just gonna have a chat, you know? And like, and just Mm -hmm. be surprised, allow yourself to be open enough to actually be surprised by what could come through. And it might not come through there. And then it might happen in a dream that night, or it might come up later, or someone might then just like, randomly start chatting to you the next week about offset or like you know it's just like be open for the magic to unfold without attachment yeah
0: a hundred percent yeah everything you said because I mean this is how I make all these major decisions in my (laughs) life like yes I literally have a conversation (laughs) with either god or a goddess (laughs) or some (laughs) other mythical entity and then I just wait to receive the answer totally. patiently <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it's so it's so true but yeah I feel you in the same way
0: <laughs> literally like so like I haven't announced it anywhere yet but I was telling you before I'm about to move to Bali so surprise everyone and honestly like what instigated it was a conversation with God and I asked to see a frog and a frog fell on my head in my <laughs> <laughs> i love that first, well first it jumped on the window i was like okay send me send me a green frog like <laughs> today if i should move to bali because i'd already sort of had this calling and had this like conversation with my husband about it and then a frog jumped on the window and i was like okay send me another frog <laughs> make it really obvious though so I can't question this because like my logical mind is like oh but you know we're in Bali there are frogs around you know and then literally a frog jumped on my head
1: (laughs) yeah I can't can't mistake that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah but it's like if you don't ask or you don't have those conversations like I think to a lot of people that's quite a bizarre thing to do you know when I'm talking to some of my friends who are not very spiritual and I say um, yeah I moved moving to Bali they're like why I'm like oh because I asked I asked God and a frog fell on my head they're like what the fuck but for me it's like those things happen all the time those conversations happen and I have such trust in that and it's always led me to the place I'm meant to go or the land that I'm meant to live on or live on for a time and I just think like that kind of faith and that kind of patience and uh, trust in the mystery is like so underrated but It's so powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just like, I just, it really just changes your whole life. It's like you're leading from this unshakable, unwavering trust that something higher is leading you. And it's also so humbling because then you don't need to know everything all the time. And it really in a way, like kind of takes you out of the ego trap because it's like, you're just recognizing that okay like my unknowingness is not ignorance but it's actually just me bowing down in full trust to something higher and then it's like okay like again awakening is a series of softening you're like the softening is beginning because you're like okay I'm I'm soft and I'm open enough to actually see these signs and to even notice the frog on the window or to even take the time to sit in meditation and ask the question and know whatever it may be and it yeah it really um it's just a way of life at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I mean everyone's very obsessed with manifestation these days and I just think that that's the ultimate like manifestation secret. It's like what you said if you know that something higher is guiding you like you don't just not mentally you know it in your bones. Mm-hmm. Then when shit goes down it's not like, oh no, I've got to like think positively out of this or like really control my way out of this or do da 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 to like align and vibrate higher. For me, at least, it's just like, oh, well, this must be a necessary ingredient in the recipe, you know? Like,
1: 100%, 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So, um, speaking of weird and mysterious and unknown things can you tell me a little bit about the pyramids and the technology of that because from what I've learned from my husband who's obsessed with this stuff what he watches on it is that there is a lot of kind of like political uh controversy around like the history of the pyramids and what actually are they? And are they, are they energetic, like power stations? Uh, how did they build them without, you know, the modern technology to create them? Why are they positioned in these like exact coordinates? Like, I would love to hear your take, because obviously this is your jam and this is where you take people on your pilgrimages and your Egyptian. Like, can you tell me your thoughts your perspective
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: I mean the pyramids
1: ah, the pyramids wow it's so wild because um yeah my house is about a 40 minute drive from the pyramids of Giza in Cairo and even to this very day with the amount of times that I've been inside there even just as a kid you know with like my parents family visiting what have you um They just never fail to command your full attention and presence. And I truly believe that that's part of the reason why they were built. And I love this theory by Graham Hancock and he says that the pyramids were built as alarm clocks. And what this means is that during the times of awakening, which we are now in the great change, the great transition, whatever you want to call it, the age of Aquarius, there's going to be a moment where the people that are asleep, that are not like kind of fully conscious of, you know, the nature of reality and and who we really are and our powers and what we're actually capable of. There's going to be a moment when the people that are asleep are going to start to wake up. And part of this waking up is the pyramids being that alarm clock because the pyramids actually hold within them all of the codes and the keys to the universe. If you think about like mathematically the proportions and the measurements like you said they are exactly positioned to meet Orion's belt which is uh, a constellation in the star and Orion is related to the god Osiris or Osir and he really is like this um he's the god of death but it's death for resurrection. His, his teachings are a lot about regeneration and renewal and uh, initiation. And so it was believed that all of the ancient rituals and the rites that were supporting people through the process of death to be born into the afterlife, they would be met with Osiris. And so the the pyramids of Giza were also the final stage in the initiates' path, the final stage in all the mystery teachings where the initiates would go from the south of Egypt in Aswan, in Luxor, in all of the temples making their way all the way up at the Nile. They would end in Cairo where the pyramids of Giza are And that would be the final stage of their initiation and another thing about the pyramids is that they're actually built on the throat chakra of the earth and there's like a few different theories around that there's some people who believe that it's literally on the throat chakra and then there's others who believe that the throat chakra is actually like a triangle um, that connects with jerusalem um, and the pyramids of giza and that this is like part of that triad and it's like a core focal point of that triad. But essentially it goes back again to one of the theories, which is that the pyramids were built through sound and how they were able to actually move these like blocks that are literally like 2.5 tons each. That's like a few four by four cars for one block. Um, They essentially were moved through vibration and through sound using their ancient technology. Um, And to me, that's the one that I would say makes the most sense. That's one that really resonates with me just because it's so in alignment with all of the other mystery teachings where quite literally sound was um, like a core foundation and a core pillar of the mystery teachings of Egypt. Everything came back to sound. And it's like, even if you think about what it says in the Bible, you know, in the beginning was the word. And you see this this uh this concept of sound and vibration, like the words that create worlds. We see that mm. in many of the creation stories we see that in many of the ancient civilizations, including egypt um, and they even believed again, going back to the name the only the initiates would be given the exact pronunciation and intonation of the deities' names because the name was like. Almost like this, this the holder of the power. It was like a, uh, almost like a, an enclosed like wrapping around this, mm-hmm. like the power and the and that specific teaching. And in order to unlock it, what unlocked it was the sound, the correct intonation and the pronunciation, um, the vibration of that deity's name or of the incantation or the spell or whatever it is that they would be working with in their rituals. So another thing as well actually so how we work with it today when we um, are on the alchemy of egypt my pilgrimage the work that we do in the pyramid is all related to sound for that very reason and because it does sit on the throat chakra of the earth um, a lot of people actually in universities like back in the 80s and the 90s they actually went inside the pyramids of giza and they did these studies and they were basically trying to measure the exact frequency or the the vibration within the king's chamber, which is what is believed to be the most, you know, charged and like potent part of the pyramid, of the great pyramid. And of course there's other areas that are not open that we have no access to, that we don't even know how to access without it all collapsing. So for now the king's chamber is kind of the most potent part, but there could be others. Um, But essentially what we will do Uh, inside the king's chamber is because they did these studies and they figured out that the king's chamber was actually measurably attuned to the frequency f sharp and the frequency f sharp is actually what creates the sacred geometry of the flower of life so even there, it's like this beautiful alignment with, you know, the this concept of the pyramids really being like the keeper and like the holder of all of these codes of the universe, the, the creation story, like how everything has come together. And it's very mathematical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the sound work that we will do in there with the, with healers that come through is actually toning our own voices to the frequency of F sharp so that we actually bring ourselves into alignment with the frequency of the pyramid itself. And I would say from my own personal experience of doing manifestation work in the pyramids, I would definitely say that the pyramids are uh, an amplifier or a conductor of energy. And it's so, it's very, very important, the vibration and the thoughts and the things that you're calling in inside that space, because they do have a massive (laughs) rippling effect beyond, because of their very, like we talked about, the very strategic positioning um, of the great pyramids, which are also linked and kind of making other alignments to other pyramids in the world as well. For example, the pyramids in Mexico of Teotihuacan. so. Yeah, it really is kind of the ultimate mystery. Um, I think that there's just endless theories and endless uh, rabbit holes to go down when it comes to the pyramids. But yeah, when you go in, it's, um, it's a very strange experience. It's like, it feels very industrial. It's like very, very different from the temples. For example, if you go into like any of the other temples, they're so beautifully adorned and there's hieroglyphs and gorgeous reliefs and you know statues and the pillars and it's all just so exquisite but then you go into the pyramids and they are literally just barren and they're yeah. quite, there's quite like a starkness and like a it's like a machine it's like you you wouldn't necessarily want to be in there if it was switched on like it almost feels like you're walking into an oven and it's like also very hot inside the pyramids as well um yeah yeah it's it's definitely an experience
0: yeah I mean that's one of the theories that Tristan has told me about from his videos that like one of the theories is that it's like this energetic power station that used to like power civilization and you know then we were kind of talking a bit about it and how like it's so the technology if that was the case is so advanced or even if you look at like how how heavy those rocks were and mm-hmm. you th- you think about it and you're like, the, you know, people couldn't have pulled those together or cut those at those precise angles. Um, and then like one of the theories that we had was that, you know, maybe I think, you know, when you look back on history, there's this tendency to look back at people who lived a long time before you and think, oh, they were less intelligent or their technology wasn't as advanced and you know they were like cavemen and we are now elite and it's like actually maybe maybe they had a lot of things that are far more advanced than what we know today and that wisdom or information has been destroyed or those people have been you know destroyed or it wasn't passed on it was kept secret Mm -hmm. and maybe we don't know shit about fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: no it is very humbling and i would say even for me, you know, diving into this world, um, like it's like the more, you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And it's just like, just be humbled by it and, and like go down the rabbit holes and explore. And, uh, but then also just, just even just like enjoy or embrace the fact that it is the mystery. And it, it's like, that's, that's what, makes it the mystery it's like we'll never know and you know I'd much rather live in a world where there is this mystery and possibility and curiosity as opposed to like knowing everything and needing to oh like this isn't backed by whatever science or you know it's like I'd rather be in the magical realms
0: (laughs) yeah totally I mean in a way that's kind of what makes life magical right because no one knows for sure what happens when you die And that's like, if we knew, I think it would take away, like, of course we can have theories and philosophies that we devote ourselves to, or we think like that, that seems like a possibility that I could believe in or get behind. But it's like, there's a chance that it might not be, and that gives rise to, that curiosity that appreciation like you perceive and experience your life in a different way because you don't know all the answers yeah. and I agree it's like the mystery is is like creates the romance of life
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah. amazing so when's your next pilgrimage when's the the next trip happening
1: So um, it's going to be taking place this September. So September 2024. Uh, Yeah, it's a two-week journey. So we actually walk what is known as the Initiate's Path. So we actually do the same path um, that the ancients themselves did. And we start in the south of Egypt in Luxor and Aswan. And we make our way up the Nile. uh, And we go to all of the temples, the sacred sites. Of course, we end in Cairo. The pyramids is like our kind of... It's not the final ceremony but it's like the almost the climax of of the ceremonies that we do working with sound um, yeah it's a it's an intimate group uh, there is a focus on ritual and ceremony that is literally you know the the core I would say like pillar of, of the pilgrimage is that we really are entering the temples not as tourists but as truth seekers as um, people who are starting to, really trust and embrace our own power and our own capabilities and, you know, and are wanting to really um, push the the limits of what we believe was possible and are really open to exploring and really just coming with a beginner's mind and, and, and really just immersing ourselves in these energies um, and in these sacred sites that are, you know, some of the most potent and energetically charged places on the planet and to really just be in honor of that, and uh, yeah, just just see what we are ready to receive at this time, at this incredibly important time, to to be making those shifts on a personal and a collective level as well.
0: Amazing. Do you have people of all different? stages of their spiritual journey coming like the, the reason I ask this is because I definitely I get this intuition that there'll be someone who's listening who feels that calling or like they feel oh my goodness something in this episode is speaking to me and I don't know why you know I've never done anything like this would but then maybe they might feel intimidated you know to mm-hmm. come on such a mysterious and like it's such a unique and original kind of journey you know like I've never heard of a retreat like this like what would you say to that person um I would say if you
1: are meant to be there it won't matter as much what level of of spirituality you have I would say what's more important is not necessarily the level of spiritual knowledge or even like connection to Egypt. I would say what is probably more important is to have a baseline level of your own healing because Egypt brings shit up (laughs) and it's, uh, (laughs) and the thing is, and it, it is alchemy. That's what like, Partly why I named it the Alchemy of Egypt is because it's, it's a very deep alchemical process um, that we go on. But it's not a healing retreat. It's a retreat that's actually designed for your expansion. It's actually designed to provide you with the set and setting, aka the temples, the way we interact with the temples, the ceremonies, the rituals, all of that, um, that is actually going to enable and facilitate and really support your next level you know, expansion or insight or breakthrough or transmission or coding or um, embodying of your own gifts. That's really what it's for. So I would say that it's it's more important to, in my eyes that you have a bit more of a baseline in terms of your healing journey. Maybe you've already done a bit of shadow work. Maybe you've already, you already kind of have a, an awareness of like perhaps some limiting beliefs that you might have and, and things like that, because that's just going to mean that you're just going to be more ready for more expansion, which is why, why i designed the the journey um but you know having said that again it's like i've had people come on the pilgrimage that are really really advanced i mean like one incredible woman that was with us last year she literally is like a teacher on multi-dimensionality she like speaks to like groups of you know like hundreds of people on how to access multi-dimensional states she was like seeing all kinds of crazy things in the like (laughs) super dialed in But then we have others that are like definitely more, um, you know, in the more like beginning stages of their journey, but they just felt this full fuck yes, this full body yes. And I could feel that they were ready for this. And they just had this, this feeling of like, I don't even know why, but I just know I'm meant to be here. And then it can also be a match. Um, and Mm -hmm. I do take calls with everybody that comes on because it's such an intimate group. The group dynamics are very important. So um, mm-hmm. if you apply, we'll get on a call and then we can like both feel into whether this is the right experience for
0: you at the, at this time. Amazing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask that, you know, because something I really believe in and live by is like following that really, illogical yes when you get it but I think that that's that's a very foreign concept to a lot of people um and so I just wanted yeah to like create a space in case someone listening was feeling that but they have never like followed such a bold or illogical inner yes before (laughs) I
1: mean I'll I'll share one little personal piece on that because it's so relevant and this was literally the energy through which the alchemy of Egypt was even conceived because my background, you know, I went to film school and I had 10 years in the film industry. I was also doing photography and I was very happy living that life. And then somewhere along the line, at some point during COVID, um, I had a huge shift and I was like, fell into a very deep depression and I had like no work cause it was COVID. Everything was on lockdown. It was like all the craziness. And I had a real moment of just like reassessment of my life which I think we all on some level had during that time. And then it was essentially this, this calling that came and it was like, you need to go to Egypt and do a pilgrimage. Like it's time to connect to your ancestors and just do the pilgrimage on my own, you know? So with a lot of resistance and a lot of like back and forth but then like a series of wild, synchronistic events. I was like, okay, I gotta be there now. And um, at the end of that pilgrimage, then the calling came and it was like, you will take small groups of people on the same journey that you just took yourself on It's going to be called The Alchemy of Egypt. You have to start right away in 2022. And the people that are coming and the people that are meant to be there have already been chosen. And it was like the most illogical, irrational. Like I had no, I had never even held a women's circle or a moon circle. And then it was like, okay, now you're going to. Whole ceremony in the temple of isis and i was like okay you're really throwing me at the deep end here universe like are you sure like did this is this really like is you know and so but it was like it was just bigger than me that i was like yeah. i just it was like i just found myself like writing the copy for the website and like creating like the graphics and just do like it was like it wasn't even me doing it i was like witnessing myself just doing things to make it you know in the 3d make it happen and so yeah that's that's literally how this whole thing was birthed so the people that are just like i don't fucking know this makes no sense but i'm just feeling it like i am i'm just in full support of that because i resonate so much with that and i think yeah Yeah. it really is just like having that open heart and just being you know making those bold moves that you just you just feel in your bones are there for a reason And, and yeah you're gonna be so rewarded for that
0: always yeah (laughs) amazing I'm so so appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your magic and just Uh so many beautiful pieces here to sit with and to expand on and um thank you also for bringing Sekhmet into my life now
1: (laughs) you're so welcome I'm honored
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, we'll pop all your dates in the show notes and the details of your retreat for anyone who's feeling the call. Do it, do it. <laughs> um, and uh, where can people find you on socials? So probably
1: the best place is my Instagram, which is at House of Light. It's spelled H-A-U-S. Um, house of dot Light. Um, yeah you'll put it in the in the show notes as well and then my website www.houseoflight.com there's a whole section on the website as well Um, at the top you'll see alchemy of egypt and you can read more about that there as well Um,
0: amazing awesome thank you so much
1: thank you so so much babe for having me i've loved having this conversation
0: so beautiful Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you, and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is This Is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful and it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage, and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.